Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Guys, you are really welcome this morning. Those of you who are uh, familiar here, welcome. Those of you who are new here today, again, uh, welcome. I just want to offer you a warm welcome. And uh, my heart is that you will um, encounter God at this time, in this place today, and that you won't leave the same as you've arrived, none of us, because the Holy Spirit does that. He transforms, doesn't he? Yeah, great. So we've had a great summer. Um, A few weeks ago, during July, we were doing the summer giveaway, handing out bacon butties and choc ices and treats and coffee outside the theatre there, and that was so much fun. We loved doing that. And then during August, uh, we had our kids' club. Uh, we had quite a few new families coming in from the community uh, to experience our great kids work and a few visitors came in over that time. We also had movie month, which was great. We looked at all sorts of movies, um, extracting, we didn't just watch the movie, we were extracting gospel truths and Jesus kingdom truths out of these various movies, uh, learning deeper things about who he is through the visual of, uh, through the medium of movies, through visuals, and that was great fun too. But now it's September and we get back to the grindstone. The fun is over. No, not really. The kids go back to school this week. Yes. Yeah, all the parents go, yes, 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 so happy. No, except my wife, she's, she's been happy having them home. Uh, no, I have too. They, we've had a great summer. Uh, but we're starting a brand new series today called The Church I See. Um, because I believe, and maybe this is just me, I hope not, but I believe that God wants this church, Sunny Hill Ferndown, to be here. Yes. And to be here now. Okay, he wants us to be here, he wants us to be here now. Now, I've already told a little bit about the story of how we started this church, and some of you already know how, how God was planning this years before. Okay, there was, there was an inkling of things, both in our lives and in the life of this theatre, and in many of your lives as well. God was putting things in place so that in January of this year, we were able to launch this service here at Sunnyhill Ferndown uh, at the Barrington Theatre. And now, in the book of Esther in the Bible... We read about how the nation of Israel is um, in exile in Persia. And there's this girl there who's a very beautiful girl, by all accounts, called Esther. And she catches the eye of the king. And the king decides he wants to make her his wife, or one of his wives. Uh, so she becomes his wife, and she's, uh, she's a Jew. And as another high government official at the time who uh, wants to, doesn't like the nation of Israel, and wants to destroy them. But... Esther's uncle Mordecai hears about the plot to wipe out uh, the Jews on a particular day and he goes to Esther and reminds her of her responsibility both as queen and as a member of the people of Israel and he says this great statement to her. It is these words, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance shall arise for the Jews from elsewhere but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this and for this very occasion. Now, I can't explain it better than that. That last sentence, who knows that you have come here for such a time as this and for this very occasion. God has brought us and this group of people here. He's brought us here now because he has a plan and a purpose for us here and now. 
And maybe if we, if we miss it, which we could do, you know, maybe God would use somebody else after us. And I, don't, I can't bear the thought of that. I want to be right in the center of his will, accomplishing his purposes for us uh, now. Now, I'm not saying that Sunny Hill Ferndale, I'm not saying this is the only church that has God's stamp of approval on it. There's a load of amazing, amazing churches in this area, in Ferndale, and there's some just up the road. There's some in Poole, in Bournemouth. There's some great churches around who are doing God's will and fulfilling God's purposes around. And I'm not saying that, that we are the only ones who can who have God's approval. But the truth is, they can't be us. And we can't be them. Which is good news. Because I'm no good at being anybody else. And I don't think you are either. I'm only good at being me. And you're only good at being you. So let's be who we are. So what makes us different to those other great churches? Different, not better. What makes us different, those other churches? Maybe, maybe, and this is our heart, that we can be a church for some people who haven't found a home in the existing churches. That's really on our heart. When we first decided we were going to move down here, we looked at the census statistics for the area. Um, the last census done. And in this area of Ferndale, I think there are something like a population of 27, 28,000 people. Um, and it said 70 something percent of them professed to be Christians. Now I know that there aren't 20,000 people in church every Sunday or, you know, following Jesus daily. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. And maybe where we are and what we're doing can point Jesus, point people into God's kingdom differently to who other people can. So when I think and dream about this church, when I imagine the future, when I see in my heart and my mind what we will look like in one year, in two years, in five years, in ten years, in twenty years, what does that look like? What do I see? What I really hope is that as myself and, and Fru over the next few weeks, as we unpack this series, The Church, I See... That the thing that's on our heart, the thing that we see, that you will see as well. I know that probably many of you already do, but I want to make it a bit clearer so that we can all be moving together, moving forward in the same direction. So we've chosen five key elements of the church, of this church, that we think embody who we are. There are probably more than five, but actually five is what we want to focus on at this time. So... The church I see, number one, praises extravagantly and worships intimately. We've already done a little bit of that today, but I'm going to be unpacking this a little bit more uh, into this message this morning. We want to be people who praise extravagantly and worship intimately. The church I see includes unconditionally. It's a place of belonging. It's a place where we don't just love each other because the Bible tells us to love each other, but we like each other. We do life together. We hang out. We eat and drink together. We support one another. The church I see grows intentionally. Now, I'm not talking about growing, having more people coming to church, although actually I think a healthy church should be growing. But that's what I'm not talking about. What I'm talking about is, is we, are, we become disciples, that we grow. We put the things in place that means we are becoming 
more like Jesus. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something like, if we're not becoming more like Jesus, then what's the point of the church? What's the point? That's what we should be, should be growing intentionally to become more like him, moving in a Jesus direction. The church I see serves wholeheartedly. We serve with everything we've got. There's an expression you see in sports, uh, leave it all out on the field. Don't hold anything back. And when we serve each other and our community, I want us to do it with everything we've got. I want to get to the end of the day and the end of my life and not feel like, oh, I held something back. I should have just given a bit more. I want to give everything because that's what Jesus shows us. That's the way. The church I see serves wholeheartedly. And the church I see invites relentlessly. We're serious about the mission that we have. Not just about inviting people to come here to this building, but actually inviting people into God's kingdom. Showing people the way to God. We invite people relentlessly by the way we live and talk. Now many of these things that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, they're not biblical absolutes. They're not theological, you know, we don't have, they're not uh, Things that every church has to do. But I think this is what we are called to do and be. This is the church that God has laid on our heart to become. Many of these elements are actually choices at the end of the day. We choose to do these things about how we live our faith, how we put on church services. This is the church that we are building. I want to just... uh, say right at the outset, we're not creating a new message. The message is the same as it's always been. Jesus front and center. The gospel, as it's written in the Bible, same for the last 2,000 years. But maybe we're changing the way that the message is being delivered. Because people are different. Society is different. And um, it's good to, I think our God is a creative God and wants to do new things. His mercies are new every morning. So we're kicking off this series today by looking at uh, the first point there, which is the church I see praises extravagantly and worships intimately. Because I think this is probably one of the uh, biggest areas of differences between individual churches. The way that we sing our songs, the way that we do our music, the way that we engage in praise and worship. There is no correct style. Can I also say that? There's no correct style. Uh, Jesus gave just two requirements for legitimate worship. He said uh, in John chapter 4, he's talking to his disciples and also to a Samaritan lady. And he said, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Those are the two requirements, that we worship in spirit and in truth. And I think that means we, we encounter God with our emotions, kind of we, we feel him and we sense him and we, and we uh, sometimes come you know, in a feely way, but also we engage him with our intellect. It's not just emotional. We don't turn our brains off at the door. Okay, we engage God with our hearts and with our minds, in spirit and in truth, because what he's revealed about himself is amazing and worthy of our worship. 
God is not offended or bothered by different styles of music, as long as it's done in spirit and in truth. Now, some churches prefer to sing older hymns, prefer to use pipe organ. Good on them. You know, some of those old hymns are amazing theologically, and I love them. And we might even throw one in every so often. Was that a clap I had there? Not very often, but sometimes. Okay? The pipe organ... No, we're not going to get the pipe organ, all right? In fact, we were at a wedding a few weeks ago, and uh, my niece is getting married up in the Midlands. Um, it, before the service started, we were sat in the pews. It was a traditional church, and we were sat there. I had Eliza on my lap, and it was like 10 minutes before the bride was due to arrive, and the organ started up playing some background music. And I looked down at Eliza, and she started, she was looking a bit, looking a bit worried. I was like, Eliza, is everything okay? She went, it's very scary. <laughs> Dum, da, 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 dum. <laughs> uh, no, okay, it's not like that. But you know, the pipe organ has all sorts of other connotations. We're not going to have a pipe organ uh, here. But you know, those people that do, God bless them. Worship in spirit and truth that way. Some churches sing songs that are maybe modern by comparison, songs from the 80s and 90s and 20 or 30 years ago. And actually, I know that probably a lot of us who've been Christians for a while, we love those songs because they're like a comfort blanket. Those are the ones we sang when we first met Jesus. And that's great. God bless them. Worship in spirit and in truth with those songs. Some churches have to manage with a weird set of instruments. They have guitar and bongos and didgeridoo because that's the instrumentalists that they have. You know what I say? God bless them. Worship, give everything you've got. Do it in spirit and in truth with that. Bless them. Some churches have songs about the service. So they have a song, then a prayer, then a song, then the notices, then a song, then the message, then a song. Other churches, they have extended periods worship I was in a church service once in America where the, where the worship lasted for an hour and a half it was amazing now I wouldn't manage that every week <laughs> but you know sometimes we do we put on earthquake services where we uh, kind of have an extended evening of just praise and worship and I love that what is our style then so what do we do you probably know already, we do new contemporary songs. Generally, we try and choose songs that are two or three years old. Because I love the fact that God is fresh and creative. And there are some great new songs that we sing. Hallelujah, here below. That's been written this last year. What a beautiful song. Another in the fire, standing next to me. That's a great song, isn't it? Yeah. Here again. I'm not enough unless you come. What a great song. So Will I, one of my favorite songs over the last two years. <clears throat> Death Was Arrested, another great song. We have a band set up. We like to have a full band when we can, when we have the guys here. We use a click track in our ears. We use lights and we use multimedia. We have videos. You probably notice that we usually start with up-tempo songs, upbeat, what we call praise songs, and then we move into slower worship songs. And that's not by accident. That's not by accident. I think there is an order of things. I think there is a process um, in, uh, in the way that we bring our song. Uh, Psalm 100 says, I will enter his presence with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. And I think when we first come together every Sunday, I want to praise him. 
We're going to talk more about that in a minute. In very simple terms, praise and worship are different. We praise God for what he's done. We worship God for who he is. Now that's a very, that's a big generalization and maybe you could pick holes in it. But I think generally that is kind of true. We praise God for what he's done. We worship him for who he is. When we praise, we sing about his greatness. We sing about his victory. We sing with thanksgiving. And can I also say it's often more horizontal in nature. We sing these songs to each other. We look around and we, maybe we jump a bit and we, um, we uh, uh, sing uh, things, we declare truths about how good he is, what he's done. We want to encourage each other about who he is. And so we sing things like, this is living now. We sing like, he's given me a new start, taken all the old. Forever we are free. And we can sing that and we can look at each other. Forever we are free. You are alive in us. I know breakthrough is coming. By faith, I see a miracle. We declare these things. He called my name and I ran out of that grave. This is how we party. This is how we party. We sing that together. We sing it because we don't party like maybe the world tells us to party. We, sing in a, we party in a different way. We're different. So we praise together. We sing about what he's done. And can I also say this, and I hope you get my heart on this, sometimes we sing things that aren't true. What I mean is, we declare things that maybe we're not quite feeling yet. So we've just had an argument with our wife on the way to church, and then we come in and say, oh, I've got the victory, and we're not feeling it. But we declare it, not because we're being liars, but because we're declaring it out of truth and say, we become what we declare. That's the truth. What we say, what we sing, we do become. When we praise, we declare truths that become a reality. And then we worship. And this becomes more, more vertical. We sing about who he is to us. We turn our hearts more towards God. It's, more, it's a more personal response. Whereas praise is a choice that we make, worship is just a, a simple, natural response for who God is. I'm not enough unless you come. Meet me here again, God. There is another in the fire standing next to me, another in the water holding back the sea. And should I ever need reminding how good he's been to me, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. Your promise still stands, God. Your promise does great is your faithfulness. Even when I'm not feeling faithful, you are faithful. We sing these songs out of a heart of worship. So the church I see praises extravagantly and worships intimately. We praise extravagantly and we worship intimately. The prophet Isaiah talked about praise as a garment that we put on. If you are feeling heavy-hearted or feeling desperate or you've had just the worst week, we come into this place and I want us to open our mouths and make that choice. I'm going to put on a garment of praise. He said he's given me a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. And we put that garment on. We have to wear it. We praise God. Praise is a choice. It's also an often a sacrifice. 
We don't always feel like doing it. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Praise is the fruit of our lips where we declare it openly. We declare it in public. Fru said it. It's a public. We come here to declare to each other who God is and what he's done. It's not a private thing. Oh, no, it's just between me and God. It's private. I do it on my own in the shower. I don't really want anyone to hear me. I don't want anyone to see me when I praise. Praise is open. Do you remember Paul and Silas in prison? Man, they had been beaten. They were in the deepest dungeon. They were sitting in the stocks. What were they doing? They were praising God. They were probably singing, we are free, or something like that. Because you declare it and it becomes true. Praise is open. Actually, remember what what it says in the Bible about Paul and Silas? It says the other prisoners were listening to them. They didn't say, oh, we can't sing now because everybody's listening to us. Everybody's looking at us. Silas, stop singing. Or sing under your breath so nobody can hear us. The prisoners were listening. And who benefited? The whole jail was set free. The chains dropped off everybody. Praise changes things. So in our services, we come in. Maybe you have had a difficult week. And I'm not bemoaning that. I'm not belittling that. I'm not saying you, sh- you shouldn't tell anybody that. Because we can pray for you. But at the same time, we open our mouths. We put on a garment of praise. And it changes the reality. It changes the reality. Psalm 95 says, come, let's shout praises to God. Raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence singing praises. Lifting the rafters with our hymns. Lifting the rafters. That's how we come in. We're marching. We're coming to his presence and we praise extravagantly. And then it goes on. So come, the next bit. Let us worship. Let us bow before him. On your knees before God who made us. Oh yes, he's our God. And we're the people he pastures, the flock he feeds. We praise extravagantly. And then we worship intimately. The church I see praises extravagantly and worships intimately. We need both. The English language is amazing. I love love it. That I speak English because a lot of the world speaks English and it's nice and useful, isn't it? We're not that good at learning languages, are we? But actually, can I just say the English language compared to some other languages is a little bit blunt. We have one word where maybe other languages have several for the same thing. So for example, in English we have one word for love. In the Greek, they have four words that mean different aspects of love. And so you can get a deeper understanding. And in the Bible, obviously it wasn't written in English. It was written in the Old Testament, uh, uh, most of it in Hebrew, and the New Testament mostly in Greek. Now in, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, where the word is translated praise, actually it's seven different words that mean the word praise, or different aspects of the word that is translated praise. And to finish off today, I just want to talk about those seven different things very briefly. We're not going to go into much depth, but I just want to give you an understanding. So, the first word that is translated praise is this word halal. Halal, or halal, I think it's pronounced. It's the word we get the word hallelujah from. Yah just means God. 
So Hallel to God is hallelujah. Okay, praise to God. Hallelujah. To be clear, to shine, to boast, show, to rave, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. I didn't make that up. I looked in my lexicon, my kind of Bible dictionary. That's exactly what it said. Okay, so when it says this word halal, it means to be clamorously foolish, to rave, to celebrate. That's why at the front here, we encourage these kids to jump. I would encourage you to do the same, to be a little bit foolish sometimes. We have permission. It's there. Woo! Psalm 149. Let them halal, let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises, halals, with the timbrel and harp. Now, we don't really learn the timbrel and harp at school anymore. Okay, but the timbrel is a percussion instrument, so we have drums. The harp is a string instrument, so we have a guitar. It's the same thing. Sing praises with the drums and the guitar. Yeah? In a foolish way, maybe. Sounds more like a football stadium than a church, doesn't it? Last Sunday, I was watching the Ashes test. Anybody see the England versus Australia last? Wasn't it amazing? I was sat there with my brother-in-law who's Indian. He loves cricket. And we sat there watching England play Australia. And it was so tense. And we were like, oh, we were really on the edge of our seats. And then when England won, we were, yes, we were high-fiving. That's amazing. Why is that okay? Why is it okay to do that at a sports event? And yet if you do it in church, oh, that's a bit undignified, isn't it? Mm. Should you be doing that in church, really? Mm? It's there. Do you remember David coming into Jerusalem with the ark? He was dancing and his wife said to him, Oh, you made a complete fool of yourself there, didn't you? You know, did that look that we sometimes get? And what did he say? This is God we're talking about. I'm going to be even more undignified than this, he said. I'm going to be, when I give my halal, my praise, I'm going to be even more undignified. Don't you try stop me. Don't you stop me. <laughs> the second one, second word translated praise is yada. Yada. We've already talked a little bit about this, to acknowledge God in public. The lips openly profess his name. Well, my praise is just between me and God. It's not for others to see. You know what it's like? I heard somebody use this analogy. It's like every time you go out the house, you take off your wedding ring, put it on the side, and then leave. And then you come back in, and then you put the wedding ring back on. How would your wife or husband feel about that? Jesus said, you acknowledge me before others, and I will acknowledge you before the Father. We wear it proud. We sing it proud. We praise extravagantly. Psalm 107. Oh, that men would yada, praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We've got something to praise God for. Something to declare. Number three. The third word translated praise is this word barak. Barak. To kneel down. To bless God, but be expectant at the same time. So this is why sometimes we do kneel when we praise God, when we worship him. But we kneel expectantly, expecting to receive something. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise, bless Barak, his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's an expectation. 
And then it goes on to list these, ex- these benefits. Right, Psalm 103, have a look at it yourself. It says, there's forgiveness of sins. There's, uh, he heals all my diseases. He gives me a redeemed life. He crowns me and wraps me in love and compassion. He, his good things satisfy my desires. And he says, my youth is renewed like the eagle's. These are one of the benefits of praising God, of blessing God, of bringing Barak to God. We get to look younger. Look how young. This doesn't come naturally. I have to praise a lot to look this good. All right? And I'm sure you do too, looking at you guys. Okay. The fourth one. This word is also translated praise. Zamar or Zamar. And this means to praise by playing an instrument I've added the word skillfully, okay? That is in the Psalms. <laughs> we praise, uh, I think Psalm 33 says, uh, play skillfully and shout for joy. We want to zamar God with our instruments. We want to get better at our instruments, at playing skillfully. It's important. Um, what have we got? Oh yeah, Psalm 21. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise Zamar, your mind. Psalm 150. Actually, have you noticed how the longest book in the Bible is all about praise and worship to God? God. It's important. It's what he desires. It's what he, he knows will change us. Psalm 150, the very last psalm, says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Wind instruments, that's okay. Praise him with the harp and lyre. String instruments, that's great. Praise him with the timbrel, percussion instruments, and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with, he doesn't say clash of cymbals, he says resounding cymbals. He says, play it loud. We like it loud. Yeah? Praise him with resounding cymbals. And then he says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And in case you didn't get it, He then says it again, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything that's got breath, praise the Lord. I don't think any of you are excluded in that. (sighs) Number five, our fifth word that means praise is this word shabak, which means to shout, address in a loud tone, to command and to triumph. Uh, Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God, Shabbat, with cries of joy. It's exuberant. We shout with cries of joy. On Thursday of this week, I went to Heathrow Airport to pick up my brother and his family, uh, Dom and Lou, and their kids from Heathrow Airport. They've been away for eight weeks. Those, most of you know they've been on sabbatical for eight weeks. Dom leads, uh, is the lead pastor of Sunny Hill, and he leads the pool campus. And they've been away for the last eight weeks in Australia and in New Zealand. And I was waiting for them. And they didn't come out. And I go, hi. Hi. Come on, let's go. <laughs> I was excited. And I saw them. I was waiting, you know, where the, fe- where the kind of bars are. I was waiting there. And I could see through the security doors that you're not allowed to go through. I could see them. And I saw them from a distance. And I'm like, hey, hey. And Dom catches my eye. And he's like, hey. And then Caleb and Judah and Zeke, they come running out. And I, and I go through the barrier. And I, I grab them. And I go, how are you doing? Oh, I've missed you. And we shouted this greeting of, 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 of happiness to each other. Yeah. Why is that Okay. And that we come to church. Oh no, keep it down. 
Keep it down a little bit. None of that shouting. I don't want to be like that. That's not the church I see. We actually got back to Dom's and we threw a party. We had a little party there. We were so excited. I will shabak you, God, with shouts of joy. Number six. Is it okay if I go over by a couple of minutes? Is that all right? Okay. Uh, number six. Toda or toda. Uh, This means praise, but it means to lift hands and glorify. Maybe you've never lifted your hands in praise and worship. That's okay. There's no judgment here. But it's there. And we are encouraged to do it, to lift our hands and glorify, to bring thanksgiving. Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoever offers praise, lifting their hands, glorifies me. I will praise you, Psalm 63. I praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. If you've never lifted your hands, then maybe start. You don't have to do this straight away, but maybe start by carrying the, <laughs> c- carrying the log. Yeah, Hands out of pocket, you carry the log. And then maybe the next week, you hold the baby. Okay, you hold the baby. And then the next week, don't shoot. <laughs> Don't shoot. And then maybe week four, touchdown. We've won. Goal. Okay? But make, make, make a progression towards this. Don't be afraid of what others will think. It's between you and God. Okay, and lastly, a seventh word. Tahila. Not tequila. Tahila. But it means the same thing almost. To sing exuberantly uh, brings about the same thing. Uh, we sing with passion, extravagant uh, praise. Um, Psalm 34, I will extol the Lord at all times. His tehillah, not tequila, his tehillah will always be on my lips. His tehillah will always be on my lips. Those are seven different words where we get the word praise from. And they bring different aspects. And then worship. I haven't really got time to go into worship. I said to Fru earlier, I'd love to do a series on, on praise and worship, maybe in next year sometime. I think it would be great. I love talking about praise and worship. But worship, the most common Greek word for worship is this word uh, proskuneo, or proskuneo, which means to kiss the hand towards somebody. Or it's, it's a token of reverence, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. To kneel or prostrate yourself, to do homage, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication. It's, it's, it's a whole body thing. Yeah. It's a whole body thing. Yeah. It's intimate. It's a hug. It's kissing towards. It's intimate. When we worship, when we worship, we come Intimately, we, we offer our hearts, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it say? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. This is true and proper worship. I'm done. I'm done. And in a minute, I think we ought to praise. In a minute, I think we ought to praise. I'm going to try that once more. In a minute, I think we ought to praise. Come on. Right. Okay, but first of all, as I was preparing this message, I wanted to write a statement that try and encompasses 
this whole idea of praising extravagantly and worship intimately. And so I'm just going to read this statement to you about the church I see. And maybe it's the church that we see. I think it is. So what I'd like, would you mind closing your eyes? And at the end, we're just going to say a big amen together. Okay? So close your eyes as I read this. The church we see puts Jesus front and center and is alive with people who worship in such a way that the gratitude for a transformed life is obvious. Where the outpouring of love for God is not limited to a Sunday service, but is demonstrated daily in a people who present themselves as living sacrifices, serving and loving those around us. The church we see worships in reverence and awe, in spirit and in truth, with both heart and mind, with our emotion and intellect, always offering the best we can with what we have, but never foregoing substance for style. The church we see brings excellence and innovation to worship, where every service brings honour to God and is real and relevant to our community and the generation in which we live. The church we see worships freely and passionately, witnessing to the world that God is here now and his presence in us makes all the difference. The church we see praises extravagantly and worships intimately. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand? We're going to sing that uh, song that we uh, wanted to sing.